In the previous lesson, we discussed the spiritual significance of the holiday of Shavuos. And we explained that this day is not only the time that Hashem gave the Torah to the Jewish people, which means on this day He gave them His wisdom. That itself is an incredible thing. But there's also another thing that happened on that day on a much larger scale. And that is, there was an incredible change in creation on that day. And this is explained based on the Medrash, where the Medrash describes the difference between before the Torah was given and after with the following analogy. The Medrash says that it's like two countries, that there was a decree where the people in the higher place can't come down to the lower place, the people in the lower place can come up to the higher place. That's the way the world was before the Torah was given. And then this decree was eliminated. And now there can be communication. The people from the higher country can go down to the country which is lower. And those from the lower country can go up to those which are higher. Which means before the Torah was given, there was a decree that separated the higher world from the lower world the spiritual realm from the physical realm. There was a decree that there can't be real communication between the two. After the Torah was given, this decree was eliminated, and now there can be this communication between the higher world and the lower world. And in the previous lesson we explained what does this mean, that before the Torah was given, there were also very great people, great tzaddikim, righteous people, who served God in their way. And when they served God, they also had the ability to draw godliness and spirituality down to this world, to bring it into this physical realm. But on a very superficial level, they, were, they did not have the ability at that time that the godliness which they brought down should penetrate and permeate the physical realm, that it should become internalized in the physical realm. That the, because there's a natural gap, a natural distance between the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and the distance is in the sense that they exist on totally different levels. And there's no way that the two could really merge together and find themselves on the same plane. It's like recording a concept. And you have a very deep, brilliant concept, and you put that on tape. So even though the concept is on tape, but there's really no connection between this piece of tape and the concept, because the concept is something spiritual, something intangible, and the piece of tape is a physical, tangible piece of matter. There's no way that these two can really merge together and become one. In the same way, when a person observed the mitzvah, did something spiritual, something godly, before the Torah was given, they brought godliness down to the physical realm, but there was really no real connection between the spiritual and the physical because they exist on two different worlds. There's no way they can come together. After the Torah was given, this natural distance and barrier was taken away. And God said, now there can be a communication, there can be a merging of the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Not that we understand how this is possible, but this was the miracle of Shavuos. This is what it accomplished. That now, when a person does a mitzvah, they're able to draw godliness and spirituality 
down to the physical realm, to this physical world, not just draw it down, but in a way that the two worlds merge together and become one as if they both exist on the same plane. This explanation will help us understand one of the most important customs connected to the holiday of Shavuot. The custom is that on the night of this holiday, we're up all night until dawn, studying the Torah. And the reason for this is because the Medrash tells us that when God came to give the Jewish people the Torah at Mount Sinai, which was also at dawn, he found them sleeping. And God said, Madua Bosi Vein Ish, Karasi Vein Aina. How come that I came and there's nobody there? I called and nobody answered. In other words, the Medrash says these words refer to Hashem when He came to Mount Sinai to give the Jewish people the Torah. They weren't awake. So in order to make up for the fact that the Jewish people slept on this night when they should have been awake, therefore we are awake all night of Shuas until dawn, which is the exact time of that Matan Torah, receiving the Torah experience. And the question is, it seems very strange that the Jewish people fell asleep in such a time. From everything that we see in the Medrash about that period, we realize that the Jewish people were full of anticipation for receiving the Torah. They couldn't wait for that day. In fact, one of the laws in the mitzvah that we have to count the days between the holiday of Pesach, the holiday of Passover, until the holiday of Shuas, to count the 49 days, which is called the counting of the Omer. The, the source of that custom is the fact that when the Jewish people left Egypt and they were told that in 50 days you'll be receiving the Torah at Har Sinai, they were so excited and so eager for that day to come that they began to count the days. And to commemorate that, we also count the days up to Shavuos, showing our eagerness to receive the Torah. So how does it make sense that here, 50 days in advance, they're already so excited that they're counting the days, and when the actual time comes, and God is ready to give them the Torah, they all fall asleep. It's like a woman who would be counting the days to her wedding, and when the wedding actually comes, the day finally arrives, they're waiting for her to arrive at the wedding hall, and she's not there. What happened? Oh, she fell asleep. She forgot to come. The two things don't go together. There's such excitement for 50 consecutive days, it doesn't make sense that on the 50th day they fell asleep. So it seems that they're going to sleep wasn't just falling asleep because they forgot about it or they just dismissed it, but it obviously was done intentionally. And if it was done intentionally, it wasn't done out of disrespect or out of disinterest, but for a positive purpose. We don't find that they were specially punished because of this. In fact, the Medrash tells us that God had to perform certain miracles they shouldn't be woken up from their sleep. Which this seems to imply that there was good intention in their going to sleep. Which makes sense. But what could be the good intention in going to sleep at such a time? And on the other hand, if it was done in good intention, 
then why do we have to make up for it by being up all night? And the answer is as follows. The good intention in going to sleep was once they realized that they were going to receive the Torah, and this is going to be a time of great and tremendous godly revelation, they wanted to receive that revelation on the highest possible level. So we find that a prophet, when he received the godly revelation, he had to be in an unconscious state. As it says in the Torah, that there was only one prophet who was an exception, that he was able to receive prophecy and be conscious. And that was Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. When God spoke to him, it was like one human being speaking to another human being. He was fully conscious, fully awake. But all other prophets, in order to receive a prophecy, something which is a, a godly revelation, they had to be in unconscious states. Why do they have to be in an unconscious state? Because as when a person is conscious, that means that his soul is connected to the body. When a person is unconscious, he's still alive, but the connection between body and soul is a little bit weaker. In fact, the Gemara says that when a person is sleeping, it's like a 60th of death. That means when the soul, God forbid, leaves the body completely, that's the opposite of life. But when a person is asleep, it's only a 60th of that. So we see that sleeping means the soul is less connected to the body. And that's why the faculties aren't functioning. So the reason why a prophet couldn't receive his prophecy when he's fully awake is because the body, which is a physical entity, is not refined enough to receive prophecy. And therefore it interferes, it doesn't allow the soul to receive the prophecy. It's like a person who's wearing a thick glove. This thick leather glove makes his hands and fingers less sensitive. Without the glove, his fingers would be more sensitive towards feeling objects. But with the glove on, his fingers become less sensitive. When the soul is without the body, it's much more sensitive to any kind of spiritual revelation. In the body, it blocks, the body blocks its sensitivity. So when a person goes to sleep, being that the body is, doesn't have so much of a hold on the soul, therefore the sensitivity of the soul is heightened and it could receive this prophecy. This was the reason why the Jewish people went to sleep before receiving the Torah. Being that they knew that this was going to be a spiritual revelation, just like a prophecy that comes to a prophet, they wanted to receive this revelation on the highest possible level. How do they do that? By putting themselves in an unconscious state, by going to sleep. And in that way, the body will not interfere with their soul, and the soul's capacity will be much greater. Its sensitivity will be much more heightened. And therefore, they're receiving the Torah, and they're absorbing this godly revelation will be in a much higher and a much stronger level. But then the question becomes the other way around. If this is the case, why are we supposed to be up all night shavuos to correct what they did? They didn't do anything wrong. Their intentions were good. There was a good purpose behind it. It was to help them receive the Torah on a higher spiritual level without the interference of the body. So why do we have to make up for that? There's nothing to make up for. And the answer is that in going to sleep there is definitely an advantage, but there's also a disadvantage. 
And that is, if the person is sleeping, which means the body is out of the way, and therefore the physical body doesn't interfere so much with the soul, and the soul's spiritual capacity is greater. And therefore the spiritual experience of receiving the Torah and the godly revelation will be on a much higher level. That's the advantage. The disadvantage is that in this case, the physical body is not part of this spiritual experience. Because the way it's taking place is by distancing the soul from the body, by putting the body to sleep. And that's the reason why we have to be awake. Our being awake means God is saying to us, True, if you go to sleep, you'll be able to receive this godly revelation and experience it on a higher spiritual level. But the body is being excluded. I want you to be awake. And by being awake, perhaps the spiritual experience will not be as intense, will not be as spiritual. But the advantage will be that the body will also be part of this spiritual experience. It won't be excluded. Now this is also understood, but then the question comes back again. If that's the case, so when they went to sleep, they did do something wrong. They excluded the body from the spiritual experience. Why weren't they punished for that? Why don't we find that they were condemned for that? And the answer is, for them, it was okay that they went to sleep. For us, it's not okay. How could that be? This would be like asking a question, if God forbid you see someone drowning, is it possible that one person would be condemned for not jumping in to save them, and another person would be considered a fool for jumping in to save that, the one who's drowning? Of course it's possible. Because if it's someone that's capable of saving a drowning person, they themselves know how to swim, and they know how to pull out a drowning person from the water, then they'll be condemned for not jumping in. Because on account of them, this person drowned. If, on the other hand, the individual that's standing outside of the water doesn't know how to swim, and doesn't know how to pull a drowning person out of the water, and then jumps in, and then God forbid two people drown, then that person would be considered foolish for jumping in. And the same thing applies to our situation. If you see somebody who is spiritually or morally not in a good place, should I jump in and try to lift them up and help them? Or should I distance myself? So it depends. If you're the kind of person that you're strong enough and you have the skill and the ability to bring that person to a higher spiritual level, then you'll be condemned for not jumping in, for not getting involved. But if you yourself are not strong yet spiritually, and by getting involved with this person who's not in a good place, not only you won't pull them out, but they'll pull you down. Then it would be considered foolish to get involved. Then the advisable thing for you to be would, would be to stay at a distance. And this is the difference between before the Torah was given and after. Before the Torah was given, that's when the Jewish people went to sleep, that was the appropriate thing to do. After the Torah was given, it's inappropriate to go to sleep, but rather to be awake. Why? We explained before that before the Torah was given, 
there was a natural distance and a natural barrier between <coughs> the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And there was no way that the two could merge together. And there's no way that the spirituality could really penetrate and become internalized in the physical realm. And that's why before the Torah was given, the only thing the body can do is interfere with the soul. Because there's no way that the spiritual experience that the soul is having can merge together with the body and the body should be part of it. So if the body can't be part of it, what will it accomplish? It will only interfere and won't let the soul reach and achieve what it's supposed to spiritually. After the Torah was given, now there's been a change in creation, and now the physical realm and the spiritual realm can merge together and become one. That barrier no longer exists. That means that the body can be brought up to a level where it can also experience and become part of something spiritual. So therefore, by going to sleep, I'm excluding the body and not allowing the body to have that spiritual dimension, to have that spiritual growth. And then it's considered a sin not to let the body be part of it. So that's why for them going to sleep was a positive thing. Because then the body only interfered. So the proper thing to do was to distance yourself from the body by putting yourself in an unconscious state, and then you can receive this revelation on a proper spiritual level. After the Torah was given, and now we're able and we're capable of bringing spirituality and the physical together, so therefore, by putting the body to sleep, I'm excluding the body, I'm depriving the body of spiritual growth, which it really could achieve. And that's why we have to be awake, because now the time is to include the body in our spiritual experiences. To tra translate this in more practical terms, this means that we know that a person has spiritual needs and then there are physical and bodily needs. And the general attitude is that the more I deal with the physical and bodily needs, the more I do to provide the body with those needs, that takes away from my relationship to God and takes away from my spiritual growth. So this means eating, sleeping, drinking, all the things that the body has, that takes away from spiritual growth. So why do we do it? Only because we have no choice. We have to survive. And therefore I only do as what I have to do to survive. Because in essence, this is something which contradicts and is an interference to spiritual growth. But the truth of the matter is, that once the Torah was given and that barrier between the spiritual and the physical was destroyed and eliminated, it's not really true. Now we're able to bring together the spiritual and the physical and dealing with the body and providing the body with its needs doesn't have to be an interference with the soul and spirituality. On the contrary, this is part of my spiritual growth. Which means I can go to sleep and not only I'm going to sleep because I have no choice, but the sleeping itself can be transformed into something spiritual. There can be two possibilities. One possibility is, something which can apply to every person, is that by going to sleep and thinking that I'm going to sleep in order to wake up refreshed, with more strength, to be rested, and I want to be this way because then I'll have the strength to be able to continue to live 
and, and live a purposeful and meaningful life as a Jew should, then the going to sleep itself is part of something spiritual because its purpose is ultimately for spiritual purpose. We also find something greater than that. We find stories of tzaddikim, of great righteous people, that their sleeping was a certain way of serving to God like other people's praying or studying Torah. They were able to transform that act of sleeping into something spiritual, just like other spiritual acts. There's a story with the one of the students of the Magad of Mizrich. His name was Rab Aaron Kaliner. He was considered one of the greatest students of the Magad of Mizrich. And he had a custom, as there is a, uh, many people have this custom, that on Friday afternoon, they recite Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs. One Friday afternoon, he was sitting in the shul, in the synagogue, reciting the Song of Songs with great enthusiasm and inspiration. And someone came to the synagogue and told him, I have a message for you from our Rebbe, from the Magad Mizrich. What is the message? The message was, if you can please stop reciting the Song of Songs. Why? He said, because what you're doing is creating such a commotion in heaven that it's not letting our Rebbe fall asleep. He had a custom that Friday afternoon, and this time of the day, he would go to sleep for a short nap something which has uh, significance and has a source in Kabbalah, in mysticism. But he couldn't accomplish it because your commotion in heaven is not letting him fall asleep. When the Chassidim heard of this incident, they were not so much amazed about the fact that this Rabbi Shir Hashirim had such an effect in the spiritual realm, but they were more amazed that the greatness of their Rebbe sleeping Here's a person who's reciting the Song of Songs. And it's being done in such a holy way that it's creating a commotion in heaven. And the commotion in heaven is so powerful and so strong that it doesn't let their Rebbe sleep. And yet, in spite of all that, it's still more important for the Rebbe to sleep than for him to recite Shir Hashirim. What does this show us? That the Rebbe's sleeping is something that has such spiritual significance which makes it even greater than that person's reciting Shir Hashir. That means that there's a possibility that sleeping in itself can be something spiritual. But naturally this is for people of a higher spiritual caliber. And the same thing with eating. One could look at eating as something which interferes to godliness. But we have no choice. We have to survive. But the fact that the Torah was given and the Torah made the two realms merge together, this teaches us, I don't have to deprive myself from food in order to be closer to God. On the contrary, God wants me to eat, to eat in a healthy way, but by making the blessing before I eat, making the blessing after I eat, the eating itself is in a refined way, and the eating has to do with the intention of gaining strength, and for the purpose of being strong and healthy, to be able to live my life as a Jew should live, my, uh, should live his life, then the eating, this physical act of eating, becomes transformed into something spiritual. As we find that a person who eats the proper way, his eating is not only not an interference, but has the same spiritual significance as the sacrifices in the temple. We know that the sacrifices in the temple 
was a very holy act. In fact, that was considered the primary service to God in the Beis Migdash, in the temple. And it was considered one of the greatest privileges if a person was able to eat from the meat that was brought as a sacrifice. And it's brought down in different commentaries of Torah that when one eats from the food of a tzaddik's meal, here is a tzaddik, a human being, eating a meal, and there's food on the table, which is left over from his meal, and one eats that, this is equivalent to eating from a sacrifice. Which means that here's a person that when he eats, not only is not an interference to spirituality, but this is as holy as any other mitzvah. This was accomplished after the Torah was given, we're capable of bringing godliness down into the most physical dimensions of this creation. And to apply this concept on a more broader scale, how it applies to each and every one of us on a personal level, just like we're talking about the idea of heaven and earth coming together on a general scale, in a person's life as an individual, there's also heaven and earth. Heaven basically means my spiritual activity, praying, observing mitzvahs, studying the Torah, and all these things will fall into the category of my personal heaven. Earth means all the activity in my life that's connected to physical and materialistic things, going out to work, my social activity with friends, things that I do for entertainment. Some people live the kind of life where there's a separation between these two worlds, which means when I'm in the synagogue, when I'm in the yeshiva, when I'm studying, then I am part of something spiritual. And that's where I identify with spirituality. But when I'm outside there, I'm in the city, I'm in the working world, I'm involved in my physical activity, I'm involved in my materialistic activity, over there, it's not a place where you bring God into it. In fact, people look at it inappropriate. This is a different world. I'm in Manhattan right now. Don't mention something from the Torah or godliness in it. It was once a friend of mine who was teaching in a school. And teaching secular studies, not studies of Torah. And when they taught a certain concept in the secular studies, the concept of the law of supply and demand, the teacher gave an example of esrog. Esrog is a fruit that we use during the holiday of Sukkot, which ordinarily, if you would buy that in a fruit store, would cost a dollar or two dollars. During this holiday, it cost $50, $75, sometimes $200, depends how beautiful the fruit looks. And the point was brought out that here, because it's in demand, because of the holiday, therefore, the price goes up. And that person was later criticized and said, you're teaching secular studies. It's not studies of Torah. How could you bring in something so holy like Ethra, which is a mitzvah, how could you bring that into secular studies? But in truth, this attitude is in contradiction to the whole concept of Torah. Well, the whole concept is that godliness and spirituality is not in one world, while materialistic things exist in a different world. The two worlds have to merge together. And God is not limited only to the heavens. He's also found here on earth. And therefore, the effort I have to make is to bring spirituality and godliness, which means even my materialistic part of life, even those hours that I'm out there, I have to bring godliness and spirituality and godly purpose into that part of life. It's not a contradiction. On the contrary, this is the ultimate purpose of 
for which we were created. Unfortunately, you sometimes find people who do lead a religious life, but when they're in the working world, they'll do things which are dishonest. And when you point it out to them and you say, you know what it says in the Torah, and you start quoting from the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, the reaction might be, don't bring that in now, this is not a synagogue here, it's not a yeshiva. We're at work, this is Manhattan. When you're with the Romans, you do as the Romans do. And it's true. There are, there are two separate territories. Heaven is heaven, earth is earth. The street is the street, and the synagogue is the synagogue. But the two worlds have to merge together, which means that they both have to take on one and the same identity, which is godliness. And its purpose, its ultimate purpose is to fulfill the purpose for which God created the entire world. And the time in the year that we get that spiritual strength to be able to identify with Hashem, whether I'm in heaven or on earth, whether I'm in the synagogue or I'm out in the street, when do we get that spiritual strength? That's on the holiday of Shavuot. However, the thing to remember is that true physical and materialistic pursuits are not necessarily negative. They don't necessarily interfere with spirituality, but providing that they don't become my priority in life, but they become rather a vehicle toward spiritual growth. 